I will come back again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. This is God's word. Allow me to pray for us. Father, we uh, thank you that you're constantly inviting us, Lord, into a deeper, more meaningful relationship with you. And, and we are just so grateful there that you are a million times more committed to intimacy with us than we are to you, Lord. Now, as we look back at our lives, we see our failings, but we also see your commitment, your covenant commitment to us. And this morning, we lean on you, Lord Jesus. Draw our hearts to you. Cause us to fall in love with you again and again and again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. It's a beautiful passage. Uh, and I'm going to draw just three things for us from the passage. I want to look at the hidden romance in the passage, the very present love, and the visible promise. So three things. The hidden romance, the very present love, and the visible promise. Let's look at the first thing I want to draw for us from this passage, the hidden romance. You know, on the face of it, this passage is heavy with grief. Let your hearts not be troubled, Jesus tells his disciples. That's the first verse of John, John chapter 14. So, so to understand that verse, we need to look at what's happening in John chapter 13. Three things happen in John chapter 13. First, Jesus in preparation for going to the cross uh, washes the feet of his disciples. It's a beautiful moment. It's a very humbling moment for the disciples. And then Jesus announces that one of his disciples, Judas, is actually going to betray him and send him to his death on the cross. Jesus had been speaking about this to his disciples, but, but that in John chapter 13, it's becoming very real to the disciples. And after that, he also says that Peter you know, perhaps a star disciple at that time, at least the most, you know, ochal disciple at that time, he's going to deny Peter, uh, he's going to deny Jesus three times. And the disciples, as they realize that Jesus is going to die on the cross, and as they, and all this is just, just too much for them to bear. They're, they're confused, they're perplexed, and they're perhaps even depressed. They're grieving. And so in this, in the first Words of John chapter 14, Jesus tells them, Jesus encourages them, let your hearts not be troubled. This passage is loaded with, with grief. But as we peel away the shrouds of grief in this passage, we see the romance that is, that is hidden in it. Look at verse 2 and verse 3. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. To us, now living in the third decade of the 21st century, there is absolutely nothing that is romantic in this passage. I'm sure you're all wondering, where on earth is the romance? I thought, you know, that was a nice way to start a sermon, but where is the romance in, 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 in the passage? We, we can't really see that here. But to the disciples and the, and the Jewish readers of Jesus' time, they would have clearly seen the romantic undertone of what Jesus is telling them. They would have clearly seen the theme of Christ, the bridegroom Messiah. Now let me unpack this for us. Jesus was born in a Jewish family. 
And, and Jewish weddings had a certain flow that we are not aware of. In the Jewish tradition, when a couple fall in love or when a wedding is arranged, uh, there is first a betrothal that happens at the bride's home. After the betrothal, the bridegroom goes away to his father's house and he prepares a home for them to live in after they are married. And then he comes back to the, to the bride's home. And sometimes this process may take as long as a year. And then once he comes back, that is when they are married. And when they are married, the, bride, the bridegroom takes the bride back to the father's place where he has built a home for them to live in. That's the context. That's how weddings happen in Jesus' time. So when Jesus says that I'm going to my father's home to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you with me. What do you think Jesus is suggesting here? And if you were there in the earlier sermon, John chapter 2, John chapter 3, John chapter 4, Jesus the bridegroom is being revealed. And here in this passage in John chapter 14, it's pretty obvious, may not be so obvious to us, but to the disciples, it would have been obvious that Jesus is saying that he is indeed the bridegroom Messiah. And so in the midst of all this grief of Jesus going to the cross, it's also an invitation to his disciples and to us to enjoy Jesus, our bridegroom, Messiah. This is a hidden romance in this passage. And this is not a theme that's, that's unique or peculiar to John chapter 14. This is a theme that runs through all of the Bible. When the Bible keeps hammering the theme that Christ is our bridegroom and we are the bride, we are being called to see God's love for us in the light of the romantic and I dare say even erotic love that God has given as a gift to every husband and wife. I would imagine that this, this will make us, some of us, uh, more than a little uncomfortable. So don't hear me wrong and for heaven's sake don't tweet me wrong. God is not saying that we are to literally love him in the romantic love between a husband and wife. That's not what God is saying. But what God is saying is that the romantic love and even erotic love, and I'll show that from the Bible, within marriage points us to the love of God that is infinitely more fulfilling and thrilling and joy-giving than the love between any husband and wife. In offering himself to us as the bridegroom Messiah, Jesus is erasing the wrong notion we have that God is distant and impersonal. By presenting himself as the bridegroom Messiah, Jesus is inviting us to enjoy him as an intimate and personal God. So the more we see Christ like this, the more we grow in our devotion to Him, the more we feel loved by Him, the more we grow in our passion for Him, and the more we grow in our commitment to Him. And so, just to, just to kind of summarize the central truths that Jesus is communicating to us in the passage, John chapter 14, those very short verses that we read, Jesus is saying that Christ, He is the bridegroom Messiah. He came to the earth, He came to earth to be betrothed to His bride, which is all of us, the church. His death on the cross 
praying, paying the price for our sins. And his resurrection was actually the betrothal ceremony. He was betrothed to us in blood. After his betrothal to us, the church, his bride, Christ ascended to heaven, to his father's home, to prepare a place for us. And he has promised us that he will come back. And he will be married to us at the wedding feast of the Lamb and take us back to his father's house to live with him forever and ever. That's, that's the gist of what Jesus is communicating to his disciples to and to us in John chapter 14. And this is the full meaning of what he's telling his disciples. Now John, who wrote this account of Jesus' life, may have well been cross-referencing this betrothal theme to another beautiful book in the Bible called the Song of Songs. And this book sits in the middle of the Old Testament. The plot line of the, song of, the book Song of Songs is remarkably similar to what Jesus is telling his disciples in John chapter 14. In the Song of Songs, King Solomon uh, comes as a shepherd to a hill, hill country. And there he meets and falls in love with a dark Shulamite woman. She falls in love with him too and they romance each other. And this book is a very vivid description of their romance. And they are betrothed to one another. After the betrothal, Solomon goes back to his palace. His bride waits for him. And as she waits for him, she is missing him like crazy. And some of the portions of the book talk about how much she is missing her bridegroom. And after a long time, Solomon comes back. This time he doesn't come back as a shepherd, but he comes as a king. He marries a Shulamite woman and he takes her with him. Do you see the parallel between John chapter 14 and the plot line of the Song of Solomon or the Song of Songs? This is the hidden romance in this passage. We're not done with the romance yet. We're just about getting started. What I'm hoping to do this morning is I want to establish uh, two more strong connections between the theme of Christ the bridegroom that John is unfolding for us in his, go in his gospel and this book, Song of Songs. Now, Before I do that, allow me to give a little bit of background on both the books. The central theme of the book of John is the agape love of God. Agape is, is a Greek word. Agape is the love that God has for all of us. It is beautiful. It is life-giving. It is sacrificial. It is divine love. God's love for mankind. And this entire theme of agape love in the book of John is captured for us beautifully in this one verse, which I'm sure most of us are familiar with, John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son to die for us. That's, that's agape love. And this book of John, which is all about agape love, and I'm going to show us in the next few minutes, is borrowing deeply from the Song of Songs, which is all about the romantic and erotic love between husband and wife within the sanctity of marriage, God's gifts to every marriage. And so sitting right in the middle of the Bible, the Song of Songs is surprisingly and perhaps even shockingly explicit in the way it describes and celebrates the God-given gift and beauty of sexual love between husband and wife. A lot of people are shocked 
that the Bible would include a book like this. And I, I think you're going to be shocked a little bit as well in the next few minutes. Here's the first verse that the book opens with. Chapter 1, verse 2. Song of Songs. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Or sample this, chapter 2, verses 5 to 6. Strengthen me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am faint with love. And look at this description. His left arm is under my head and his right arm embraces me. We're just getting started. <laughs> the book is unabashed in its celebration of romantic and, and sexual love between husband and wife in, within the sanctity of marriage between man and woman. Listen to Solomon describing his wife. This is verse, chapter 4, verse 3. Your lips are like scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. Or look at chapter 7, verses 1 to 3. How beautiful your sandaled feet, O prince's daughter. Your graceful legs are like jewels, the work of an artist's hands. Your navel is a rounded goblet that never lacks blended wine. Your waist is a mound of wheat encircled by, by lilies. I mean, some of those allegories may not seem very fashionable to us uh, in that day. You know, we know what, we know he's enjoying it. Next, chapter 7, verse 7 to 8. Brace yourself. This is, this is adulterated stuff. But it's from the Bible, so I have the liberty to read it out for us. And the kids are away in kids' church. Your statue, your stature, sorry, your stature is like a palm tree and your breasts are like its clusters. I say I will climb the palm tree and lay hold of its fruits. Oh, may your breasts be like clusters of the wine and the scent of your breath, apples. Song of Songs, chapter 7, verses 7 to 8 from the Holy Bible. The, books get, the book gets even more explicit, but I'm going to stop here today. Maybe Felix should have done that CBR announcement now. <laughs> I bet everyone are going to read their Bibles tomorrow. I bet everyone is. Now you know why I picked this sermon at the beginning of the year. We're all going to go back and read the Bibles tomorrow. So the Gospel of John is a book that, that just celebrates the agape love of God. And here's this book, Song of Song which celebrates romantic and erotic love between husband and wife. And what I'm going to show you in the next few minutes is how deep, richly, the book of John borrows from the book of, Song of, of Songs. And I'm showing that to draw and flesh out this theme of Christ, our bridegroom Messiah. I've already made the first connection. The plot line of Song of Solomon, Song of Songs or Solomon, Songs, Song of Solomon, as it's interchangeably called, it corresponds with this, this, this passage we saw in John chapter 14. I want to show you two more connections between these two books. Really beautiful connections. But here's the first. The Shulamite woman, during her courtship, uh, does something beautiful to express her love for her would-be husband, King Solomon. In, in this incident, the king is reclining on his couch, and the Shulamite woman pours perfume on him. We see that in Song of, Song of Songs, chapter 1, verse 12. While the king was on his couch, my nod gave forth its fragrance. Does the scene, does the scene sound familiar? It should. 
Because in John chapter 12, when Jesus was at the home of Lazarus in Bethany, Mary comes and pours perfume and anoints the feet of Jesus. Let me read that passage for us. Six days before the Passover, again, John chapter 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served and Lazarus was one of those reclining with Jesus at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. The vocabulary and the language that John uses here has three striking similarities with the incident we just saw in Song of Songs of the Shulamite woman pouring perfume on her beloved. First is the use of the word nard to describe perfume. The other gospel writers, if you see, when they are describing this incident, they just use the word perfume. But John is intentionally using the word nard, perhaps with the intention of drawing our attention to this incident back in the Song of Songs. The second connection I want us to see is the use of the word fragrance. When the king was on his couch, my nard gave forth its fragrance. That's Song of Songs. In John chapter 12, it says the house was filled with the fragrance. The Hebrew word for the usage of this word fragrance uh, in both the passage. Both the passages is a Hebrew word called osme, O-S-M-E. And, and this word osme does not refer to fragrance from perfume. This word osme in both the books refers to the pleasing aroma of sacrifices that have been made to God. And it's not the word that, that, that conveys the idea of perfume. It's the word aroma from sacrifices. The use of this word in both the books cannot be explained except by reading it as a prophetic, as a prophetic foretelling of Christ Jesus being prepared for his burial. This woman in pouring his, the perfume at Jesus' feet is preparing Jesus as a sacrifice for our sins, for your sins and mine. The third similarity in this passage is, of course, Jesus reclining on the couch, just as the king in Song of Songs was reclining on the couch. And so in describing this incident in the gospel that he wrote, John is quite obviously evoking very vivid imagery from the incident outlined in Song of Songs. And that's the second of the three unlikely connections that I want to draw for us between the Agape book of John and the Eros book of Song of Solomon. First was the connection in the plot line, second is this perfume incident. And here's the third and the last connection I'd like to draw for us between these two books. In the Song of Songs, the Shulamite woman is saying her beloved who has gone away. We saw that in the plot line. Solomon comes, meets her, and then he goes back and comes back, you know, we don't know how long later, comes back after a long time to, to marry her. So in that gap, the Shulamite woman is waiting, longing for him to come back. And this narrative is found for us in Song of Songs, uh, chapter 3. Many Bible scholars argue that there are strong parallels between the Shulamite woman searching for her beloved and Mary Magdalene searching for Christ, the bridegroom Messiah, in John chapter 20. Allow me to walk us through, through the pretty strong parallels between these two passages. 
In Song of Songs chapter 3, the Shulamite woman spends the night missing her beloved. This is before they are married. She arises while it's dark, still dark, and she goes in search of her beloved. This is Song of Solomon uh, chapter 3. In John chapter 20, Mary Magdalene comes to the tomb of, tomb of Jesus while it is still dark and she is unable to find him. Next in Song of Songs, the Shulamite woman encounters watchmen in a search for her beloved. She encounters watchmen and immediately after passing the watchmen, she finds her beloved. In John chapter 20, Mary Magdalene encounters two angels watching over Jesus' tomb. And immediately after that, she sees the risen Christ, the bridegroom Messiah, who has now risen from the dead. And last, in Song of Songs 3, when the woman finds her beloved, she says to him, I held him and would not let him go. In John chapter 20, Jesus tells Mary, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Mary, of course, here is representative of all the other disciples. Um, you know, Peter and John were also with her at part of that incident. And Mary kind of symbolizes in this moment, in her longing for Jesus, Mary kind of signifies, symbolizes the longing for the entire church, the bride of Christ, longing for her Savior and her bridegroom. So given that the Gospel of John is all about the agape love, and songs literally portrays romantic love. It is indeed remarkable how many allusions and connections and cross-references there are between these two books. And that brings us to the second thing I'd like to draw for us from this passage. Very present love. Very present love. What's the point that I've been trying to make in everything that I've said so far? What is the big idea that I'm communicating to us in the sermon? What is the objective behind showing all of these some strong, some weak connections between the book of John and the book of Song of Songs? It's a very simple one, really. And this is the point that I'm trying to make for us. God is not distant and impersonal. In Christ, our bridegroom Messiah, God is endearingly calling us into an intimate and personal and passionate relationship with Him. And all through the Bible, God has unhesitatingly used romantic and even erotic love between husband and wife as a signpost, as a pointer to call us to the truer, greater, infinitely more thrilling and infinitely more purer love with Him. We really need to take a moment to pause and allow the reality of what God is communicating in all of the Bible to sink in. Jesus loves us as His bride, nothing less, nothing less. God himself, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, fully God, fully man, he loves us as nothing less than his bride. That's how much Jesus is interested in you and in me. 
the bride price that Jesus paid so that he could have his bride, us, was his death on the cross. He gave himself to the punishment that all of us, his bride, we deserved for our sins so that we can be cleansed, washed with water, as Ephesians says, made pure without blemish, and we can be united with Christ, the bridegroom Messiah, the Son of God, God himself. He was forsaken so that we could be forgiven. He was rejected so we could be received. He tasted death on the cross so we could feast on eternal life. This is the very present love that is freely available to every one of us who believes in Jesus and receives him as our as their God and Savior. Will you receive him as your Savior today? Will you take him to be your bridegroom Messiah? We know what it is to long for love. We might be successful, we might be accomplished, we might be beautiful, handsome. We all know what it is to long for love. But the reality, the truth, is that only this love of God as a bridegroom, nothing less, can fulfill the deepest love longings of our hearts. The longing for, our, for love in every one of our hearts is so deep. It is so powerful. The Bible says love is stronger than that. It is so deep, so powerful, so, so intense that it takes nothing less than God himself as our bridegroom to satisfy us. And this is the greatest hope that we have irrespective of whether we are single or married or, or happily single or unhappily single, happily married, unhappily married, divorced, widowed, confused. It doesn't matter what our status is. The only person who can ever deeply fulfill every longing for love in our hearts is Jesus Christ, the bridegroom, Messiah. Will you take him as your bridegroom this morning? Allow me to close with, with the last thing I want to draw for us from this passage. The visible promise. The visible promise from the passage. We discover the hidden romance uh, from the passage in John chapter 14 we are looking at today. But in this very passage, apart from the hidden romance, there is also a very visible promise. Look at verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. This is the very visible promise Jesus made to all of us who believe in him. I will come again and take you to myself. First, Jesus is coming back again. This is the hope of all followers of Christ Jesus all over the world. He is going to come back again and we are going to be his. But also look at the second part of what Jesus is promising. I will take you to myself. I will take you 
to myself. This is romantic, marital language. That's what Jesus is talking about here. We will be his bride. He will take us to himself. When Jesus comes again, we will be his and he will be ours. We will see him face to face. We will be united with him for all of eternity. He will be our groom and we will be his bride. When we put our faith in Christ Jesus, the bridegroom Messiah, God offers us nothing less than eternal union with himself. Don't settle for anything less. That's the fullness of what God is promising to us when he reveals all through the Bible, Jesus Christ, the bridegroom Messiah. Allow me to pray. Father, we come before you in worship, Lord. Lord, we, we pray, Lord, the beauty of this, the truth of this, the power of Christ, the bridegroom Messiah, can be applied in our hearts only by your Holy Spirit. Only by your Holy Spirit, Lord. And so we wait. We wait on you. We pray and we wait on you that you will take, that your Spirit will take your word and apply it so deep into our hearts, Lord. And as we, as we wait on you, as we cry out, Jesus, my bridegroom, Messiah, we pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that every hurt of not being loved, every hurt of being loved and betrayed, every hurt of being loved and then abused, Every hurt, Lord, in every one of our hearts will be washed away by the blood of Christ Jesus that speaks a better word. Lord, we pray even as we continue in this time of worship, Lord, in communion, we pray that your Holy Spirit will, will, will draw us to freedom, you know, to fullness of the gospel, fullness of the promise of Christ Jesus in his gospel of grace. Thank you, Lord. We worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.